0: If God is speaking to you through a dream, that means there's a message for you. But what does scripture actually teach about interpreting dreams from God? How can we begin to make sense of what our dreams mean when God is really speaking to us? There is some very helpful wisdom in the Bible about interpreting dreams, but there are also some very strong warnings about what not to do with dreams. So in today's message, we're going to be looking at what the word of God says about dreams. Let's jump into the message. Episode 10, all about hearing God's voice. Listen, if you've been tracking with this journey, you know where we're at. You know, I've already laid the groundwork for us being here today. I don't need to dive deep into why I believe God still speaks the way he does and why scripture, I believe, makes it clear that God is working very similarly to the way he has in ages past. We've already gone through that. Today, I want to establish what it looks like in scripture to biblically, wisely, Thoroughly, thoughtfully, critically examine dreams and interpret them according to what scripture kind of gives us insight into. I hope that um, by the end of this, you'll know how to recognize the voice of God better because the whole, I guess, um, process of this, the, 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 The way this thing progresses is that we want to know how to hear—we want to know God's voice so that we can—when we hear His voice, we recognize His voice. There's that initial recognition, and then there's the discerning that comes into play. We discern His voice. We're receptive, and we act on what it is that God is calling us to do. So, again, as I said in the last episode about dreams, if you have not watched that, I highly recommend—you don't have to—but I highly recommend you go and watch episode 9 of this series, Hearing God's Voice— Um, which was about dreams and receiving dreams and what dreams are like and how God speaks through dreams and the purpose. And all of that has already been laid in the last episode. What I would like to do today is talk about what Scripture says about interpreting dreams. So there's going to be a few things I want to make clear up front, and I'm going to give Scripture to back this up, okay? I'm hopefully going to use a hermeneutic that you guys see as as thorough and logical and sound. Uh, But the first thing being that interpretations belong to God alone. God is gifted, number two, God has gifted some to interpret dreams and visions uh, the way we see with tongues or prophecy. Uh, number three, it seems as though God gives interpretations to the dreamer uh, that has the dream, and sometimes he gives the interpretation to another person for whatever reasoning God has. The fourth thing I want to show you is that sometimes men actually need to ask and seek God for the interpretation, whether it's their own dream or a dream for another. The fifth thing I want to show you is that God often allows men to decide the right course of action and with the right conclusions based Based on the dream they have and the message God gives them the sixth thing I want to show you is that interpretations for dreams actually find their basis in scripture not mysticism not paganism um, and then we're going to look at the concept of scripture warning and giving a, a clear cautions about dreams um, we don't want to be willy-nilly about this we want to be thoughtful and God-honoring and biblical about how we approach this okay and so we're just going to jump right in. Genesis 40, verse 8. This is what Joseph says uh, regarding dreams. He's, interp- he's about to interpret the dream, by the grace of God, of the cupbearer and the um, and the baker uh, in Egypt. And they're in prison with him. And this is what Joseph says in Genesis 40, verse 8. It says, they said to him, we have had dreams, the cupbearer and the baker, and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph says, hey, come on, boys. Don't you know interpretations belong To God. That is so important to this conversation because a lot of what you see on YouTube or just with people who are hyper charismatic and take things farther than they should go is that people run with their ideas, their own, what their own mind conjures up, their own imagination. They rely on their own mind as if to be completely reliable all the time. They rely on their own heart, how they feel, what they, what they sense. I'm feeling, I'm sensing that there's something and they base whatever they're about to tell someone about their dream. They base it all on them. It's sourced in their imagination and their heart. And what Joseph says is actually every interpretation for a dream God gives someone, it belongs to God alone. And that's so important is that no matter what, as we navigate life and sense there's dreams, and I feel like God's speaking to me, that we would firstly run to God for whatever interpretation he might give us. And then we go to people and say, you ask God. I don't want to go to people that rely on their own understanding. I don't want to go to people that don't look to God in prayer and rely on his guidance and direction. I want people who trust that God alone gives the interpretation and he gives so graciously to whomever would ask if it's his will. Okay. Daniel chapter two actually says something very similar. Daniel says something to King Nebuchadnezzar regarding the dream that he had. He says, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and he's made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. So Daniel in agreement with Joseph, a lot of their life is fairly similar and the way God uses them, very similar callings. But Daniel echoes what, what Joseph says in Genesis 40, which is that it is God who reveals mysteries and not just in the form of a dream, but in the form of the interpretation and the message the dream is conveying. It is God who communicates these things clearly to his people. I don't want you guys relying on people. I don't want you relying on some teacher or some YouTuber or some preacher or some pastor to always go to to tell you what your dream means and then they go, "Hmm, well I think." If they don't even consult God and 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 filter that dream through scripture and consider what the Bible says and who God is in light of that and if they don't go to God and ask for for clarity on it and they just jump the gun and go, "I think I would caution you to really um heat don't be quick to believe what they're saying. Bring that before God, as, as we always should, uh, but especially when it seems as though someone— it's not to say that God isn't speaking through them, but I, I feel as though it's often I you know, feel. But what I see in Scripture makes it seem like it's less likely God is guiding a person who relies on their own understanding. It doesn't mean he can't be speaking through them and giving a message just like that right off the bat, It just means it doesn't seem very likely that he is, if they're not relying on God for the interpretation. Number two, God has actually gifted some to interpret dreams and visions, um, the way we see tongues communicated in the New Testament. Let me show you Daniel chapter one verse seventeen, talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We know these Hebrew boys for some reason by their Babylonian names, and Daniel, uh, these four boys, God gave them learning. God gave them skill, which is refers to understanding, the ability to comprehend and retain and make sense of things, and, and just did the ability to, to, to profound mysteries are just laid out before them. Not just in all literature and wisdom, uh, but Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. That's supposed to be something that is unique to Daniel, <clears throat> not to the neglect of the others, but to say that this is not normative for someone to be able to interpret dreams and understand visions and dreams, Daniel is given a unique gifting, a unique skill by the grace of God, and a unique calling to be a part of interpreting dreams like for King Nebuchadnezzar or um, really for himself as he looks to, uh, at times, spiritual beings and dreams to tell him what it means. Uh, Daniel chapter 5 verse 12 will echo something very similar talks about Daniel uh, being chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans. Uh, he has an excellent spirit, this Daniel. He has knowledge and he has understanding to interpret dreams and explain riddles and solve problems. That's what was found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar. The text would not explicitly call that out unless it was something unique and special to like really focus on. There's no need to... Uh, say something like that if it's normative or if it's average, if everyone can do this. I'm not saying God can't use anyone. I'm saying there are some people that God has gifted and called to excel in this area of dreams and understanding riddles. And you go, Riddles? What the heck is God like? The, what, what's going on here? Well, God chooses, as we, as we see in Deuteronomy, when Moses and Miriam, or Aaron and Miriam, oppose Moses, God says, Look, some people I speak in riddles. To some people, I speak in dreams and visions, but with Moses, I speak face-to-face, as if mouth-to-mouth. So there are these categories in which God communicates at certain times to certain people for certain reasons and certain situations, and one of those categories is that God speaks in riddles, on purpose, And there's so many reasons. One of them would be so that men would seek God for the understanding to make sense of that and they don't take credit for it. A second thing would be that God receives the glory when a man comes to understand what God has gifted them to comprehend. So there's something about the seeking and the finding and the reward and God being glorified in the process of God concealing a message in riddles. And God does that. There's this idea, I think, especially with cessationist theology that says, um, You know, God always speaks clearly every message. And it's like God speaks how he wants. Clarity is never the issue on the part of God, but rather on the part of people who need the understanding of God to make sense of what he's saying. There's just the way that God communicates is not something we can box into one scenario and go, well, in this situation, therefore always. Um, And sometimes it isn't normative. Sometimes it is the exception. But the fact of the matter is, is that. uh, Like Fritz says, Jesus teaches in parables, like Matthew chapter 13 teaches explains exactly that, like we see in Ezekiel. Um, The third thing to note, and I'm just going to kind of, you know, fly through this because there's a a few more things I really want to get to that aren't more important and I'm more excited to tell you about them. The third thing is that sometimes God does give the interpretation to the one who received the dream. And other times, God gives the interpretation to another person. And again, we go, why? Why isn't God consistent in his mode of communication and his method of delivering a message? Why is it that God is... Well, God is consistent in his nature and character and who he is. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. But the method of communication, the tools God uses, the seasons of human history seem to change based on what is most conducive to the situation. And so I want you to see that in... Um, for instance, I can just go down the line, and we've already talked about this, so I don't necessarily need to go back and explore these passages in depth. Go watch the last episode, but this all relates to hearing God. Sometimes God will speak to you in dreams, and if you're not open to it, or if you're not ready, or have biblical—I uh, don't know—a biblical understanding of how to make sense and reason through these things and interpret dreams as best as you can, um, you'll be—you'll find yourself at, at a loss. And so, it's God often communicates in ways. That is, really, it's up to the person's own, I don't know, maturity, uh, understanding of God, theology that determines whether or not the person will be receptive to and be able to make sense of what God is saying. And God does that. Numbers chapter 12, verse 6, it says, hear my words, if there's a prophet among you, this is what I was quoting, I said Deuteronomy, I meant Numbers, the Lord defending Moses to Miriam and Aaron, he says, look, if there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. Okay, I speak with him in a dream. And we've already established these three clear prophetic categories, which is clear words, visions, and dreams. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly not in riddles. And when God speaks in riddles, it doesn't say something about the person's own lack of maturity or their own faith or they don't have a real relationship with God or they don't understand or God would have spoken clearly to them if they were on or on the right track it just says a lot about what god is choosing to do in that specific situation for his glory okay so you you're probably asking why is it that god sometimes gives the interpretation to the one who has the dream and the interpretation to someone else because sometimes again god speaks clearly as if mouth to mouth and other times in riddles parables that need interpretation and there's something about a group of people, believers relying on one another or uh, Old Testament saints relying on one another um, to come to a right conclusion and interpretation that gives God glory, promotes unification, promotes faith, promotes, you know, um, yeah, encouragement and, and strengthens the relationships of believers. God is doing so much. And so the chosen method of communication, again, doesn't necessarily indicate the individual's own level of reception or faith or maturity. Don't get confused. Well, God spoke to me in riddles or parables. Therefore, I have lack of maturity or I'm not where I should be or I have a lack of faith. How God speaks to someone is not always indicative or a reflection of their own spiritual uh, position and lack of maturity or presence of maturity. For instance, let me just give you a bullet point list. The times that God gives both the interpretation and the dream to someone is in Genesis 20 with Abimelech or Genesis 15 with Abraham, or in Genesis 20 with Jacob, or in Genesis 31 with Laban, or in 1 Kings 3 with Solomon, or at times Daniel. Daniel is one of those characters where there's fluctuation. Sometimes he knows the interpretation immediately. Sometimes he doesn't, and he has to ask God and seek and and, and, and petition God for the understanding, and then an angel is sent or a spiritual being is sent. And other times Daniel just, boom, gets it. I know what you're going through. Daniel chapter 2, verse 19, and Daniel 7 are examples of God giving both the dream and the interpretation to Daniel. Uh, Joseph and the wise men, talking about Mary's husband, Joseph, New Testament, and the wise men that visit Jesus, um, in Matthew's gospel particularly, I believe, uh, God speaks to them in dreams and there's clear understanding. There's no, like, well, what do you mean? What's the interpretation? I don't know. It's in riddles and parables. So God can and does do that. God also, at times throughout human history, gives both or gives rather the interpretation to one and the dream to another. Examples of this would be Pharaoh and Joseph in Genesis 41 or Joseph and the cupbearer and the baker in prison in Genesis chapter 40. Or the Midianite warriors in Judges chapter 7. One Midianite warrior has a dream, the other has the interpretation. Or with Daniel and King Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel chapter 2, 1 through 7 and 26 through 45. There's examples all over the place, fellas and ladies, of at times... God gives the interpretation to one and sometimes the interpretation to the same one who had the dream. And there's no confusion. There's no riddles. There's no parables to make sense of. There's no uh, analogies to work through. There's no metaphorical symbols. It's just straightforward, literal communication and message. Other times it is in riddles. Other times it is in parables. It is in images and symbols that need to be interpreted. And sometimes with the help of other believers that to be a part of the process. And we have to learn how to be okay with that. All right. Whew. Number four. So this is um, something to consider as well when it comes to interpreting dreams. And I hope—I didn't make this clear up front. I wish I did. You understand that this is not me giving you a blueprint, a formula, a strategy guide, or a workbook to interpreting dreams. We're gleaning wisdom from Scripture, looking at something that happens at least more than once, usually more than twice— and if I can see that there's multiple times where something happens, I can glean wisdom from that and go, I can at least say that has happened several times. So I can say God does do that. And this is not the exception, nor is it normative, but God does it. That's what we're trying to do. I'm just trying to give you wisdom to consider the next time you have a dream or you're like, I think God's speaking to me or my friend had a dream. Consider these things. Maybe the interpretation is being given to you or someone else. Maybe you should rely on God for the interpretation. Maybe you should understand that some people seem to be gifted and and excel in this ability to interpret and make sense of dreams and visions and prophetic images. Fourth thing, again, is that sometimes men, women, people need to ask or seek God for the interpretation, and this is not to say someone else is going to give it to them. This is to say God has desired to give me both the dream and the understanding, but there's a gap right now. I have the dream, but I lack the understanding. God intends to give it to me, but it's my job to seek and ask for that. This I think this is true for both visions and dreams. So let me show you what I mean. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 17 through 19, and the reason I'm not... Sh- going through all these scriptures with you because we did this the last episode. So again, I'm assuming we've laid the foundation. You watch that and I don't need to go through this super deep again. Daniel chapter two, verse 17 and 19. A king, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, he makes a decree and says, I'm going to kill all the wise men, all the magicians, unless someone tells me what my dream is. And it means Daniel gets the message. and goes, a little aggressive, calls his boys up. Hey, Let's seek mercy from God concerning this mystery. So Daniel and his companions wouldn't be destroyed. And essentially, this is them seeking mercy through prayer and petition, you would assume, because Daniel is just laced with prayer. And the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. And this is a scenario where someone else has the dream. Daniel's wanting the interpretation, but God doesn't just give it. Daniel and his boys have to ask in petition through prayer. And sometimes God has designed the process to involve prayer. That prayer would be the gap between dream and understanding. Daniel chapter 2, verse 3, King Nebuchadnezzar, he has a dream. Guess what he has to do? He has to ask for understanding. He doesn't go to God. He goes to people whom he thinks has the vision, and has the understanding, and Daniel ends up having it because God gives it. Um In Joseph's time, Genesis chapter 41, verse 8, and then the question becomes, why didn't God just give Daniel right off the bat, and as soon as Daniel heard the news, just boom, Daniel, here's what it means. Why did God require some seeking, some asking, some pleading for mercy on the part of Daniel and the boys? Something to think about. Why didn't King Nebuchadnezzar have the answer immediately and the understanding? Why'd he have to ask? Why does Pharaoh have to ask? His spirit is troubled. He had these two dreams that mean the same thing. And Joseph comes in and goes, I got you, boy. Here's what it means. Uh, Genesis 41 verse 8 is an example of this. Pharaoh tells his, the boys his dreams. They can't. His his people. And then Joseph comes in and he goes, hmm, I got you. I want to bring an example of a vision into this because this is not necessarily a dream but you might call it like a, day t- a daydream. We call these things daydreams, but this is why we call dreams night visions and visions of the day daydreams because they, they overlap at times. They're essentially the same thing at different times. Um, but Peter on the rooftop, he's about to get a message about the Gentiles and he has a vision. Several times the vision comes and he still doesn't understand. It says it very clearly. Uh, Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision from God meant. He had no idea. He had a sense, God, kill and eat. I've never eaten anything unclean. Don't call unclean what I call clean. Foof, see a boy. Peter's like, what the? Has the same vision, right? Peter's pondering the vision still. And he's still trying to make sense of it. The spirit goes, hey, there's a couple guys here. Go see them. Cornelius sent them. So there's another example of Peter has to wait he doesn't necessarily ask, but by pondering, by being perplexed and, and thinking through these things and trying to make sense, he comes to a conclusion by God bringing him to the house of Cornelius. God answers that. Now, that doesn't necessarily make the point I, I was trying to make about point number four. Sometimes men need to seek God, but there is the examples in scripture of that. Um, trying to think off the top of my head. Um, I'm, 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 I'm Daniel. Daniel has to ask for, um, it's it's in either in Daniel 7 or Daniel 9, he has to ask for understanding when it comes to the vision or the dream he had and an angel of the Lord is sent. I forget, an angel, maybe it was like Michael or something, I forget who it was, but either way, God sends a messenger to go, hey, give that man understanding and Daniel gets understanding after petitioning and asking. So this idea that, well, the reason I'm going through all this is because you might have been taught. Like potentially, you might have been taught that um, I don't know. It's not God giving you a dream if you don't have the interpretation immediately, or if you don't know the the meaning of the message immediately. And we put these I don't know man made like conditions on dreams to determine whether or not it's from God, and they're not really rooted in Scripture. Because if you actually think about these limitations and conditions we place on dreams, scripture seems to break out of those. God seems to break out of those. If, if if we're determining whether or not God is speaking to me through a dream by the fact that, well, I don't have an interpretation now, right? So therefore God isn't speaking, then that just goes, flies in the face of what we see in scripture. Um, Where Daniel doesn't know or King... Ba- you know, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't know, or uh, Joseph doesn't even fully understand the dreams he has at first before he's sent to Egypt, or Peter's pondering the vision. I don't know, and then it's finally makes sense. There is a gap at times, not always. I don't want to make absolute statements. There is, there are times um, where God lets there be a gap between when someone has a vision or dream and when someone understands it. Sometimes it involves people. Sometimes it involves prayer. Sometimes both. All right. Um, The fifth thing to know about dreams is that God often allows people to decide what is the right course of action. Now, this, this is not without the guidance of God, without regarding the word of God. This is considering the scriptures that are available to them at that point in human history, considering the character of God, considering his ways, considering what honors him. I'm going to make Determine a right course of action based on my knowledge and understanding of God. That seems to be what happens at times. For example, in Acts chapter sixteen. Now, this is not a dream, but rather a vision. I know we're talking about dreams, but at times they overlap, and I think there's wisdom to glean from both. That actually apply to both kinds of communication modes God has, or methods of communication. Uh, there's a vision that appears to Paul in the night. Oop, gotcha. It's a dream. Trick myself. This is a dream. In fact. Paul has been rejected several times, and you go, what do you mean? Well, he's trying to spread the gospel and advance the kingdom and bring Jesus to the pagan Gentiles, and he's going through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, and having been forbidden by the Spirit to speak the word in Asia, he's like, okay, that's fine. And then he's trying to go into uh, Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus goes, no, and Paul's like, oh, okay. So two rejections, two no's, and then at night, you go, why at night? Why does God give Paul a message at night through a dream in this way? I don't know. Go talk to God. Acts 16.9, a vision appears to Paul in the night. Night visions are referred to as dreams or vice versa. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging Paul and saying, come over to Macedonia, help us. When Paul saw the vision immediately, we sought to go on into Macedonia. Here it is, concluding. God had called us to preach the gospel. There's another example of this when, with Peter's vision, which I didn't actually write down in my notes. But back to Peter's vision, he actually brings news of the Gentile converts and being baptized in the Spirit. He brings that to the boys in Jerusalem, lays it before essentially the council, and they're going, what do we do with this? What do we tell the Gentiles to adhere to when it comes to Jewish law and, and Torah? What do we do? And they're trying to make sense. And then by the end of it, it says it seemed good to us and the spirit of God. Boom, boom, boom. Here's what we should tell the Gentiles to do. How did they come to that conclusion? Obviously, through wrestling, discussion, disagreements you see in that text, um, some initial tension, uh, biblical, thoughtful consideration of the situation and comparing it to scriptures, all of that went into Peter and the, and the apostles Making the decision that seemed good, seemed good to them in the spirit about what to do with the Gentiles. Genesis chapter 41, verse 32. Because here's what people will say Well, if God is going to speak to you in a dream, then He's going to tell you exactly what it means. There's going to be no confusion. It's going to be immediate. And then you're going to know exactly what to do because God's going to tell you. And if there are examples after example in scripture of actually the opposite happening, and God doesn't give the uh, interpretation to the one who had the dream, or or God doesn't give it immediately, or God doesn't tell them what to do about the dream, then you have placed man-made limitations and conditions on how it is that God is going to speak. And you need to be honest about that. Genesis 41, 32. This is what Joseph says about Pharaoh having two dreams. They mean the same thing. And he goes, Pharaoh... The fact that your dream has doubled means the thing is fixed by God, and God is going to shortly bring it about. There's going to be a great abundance for seven years, then famine. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man. Did God tell Joseph to to say this, to recommend this? We won't say that it's without the guidance of God, but is God... Did God give a clear explicit command or instruction to Joseph, tell Pharaoh, pick us the discerning wise man to set over the land of Egypt, or did Joseph with the wisdom God gave him and the spirit God filled him with, did he come to a conclusion and consider what is the right course of action and then land on this by the leading of God? The text doesn't say that God told him what to do in response to the dream. It actually says that Joseph, it doesn't even say that God gave him, and this might frustrate people, um, but the text doesn't even explicitly, clearly say that God told Joseph the interpretation for the dreams. Can we assume God did? I would lean towards that. I would lean towards that, right? We're not going to make an argument from silence, but I will say that God did not explicitly in this text, he's not the one that's... um, telling Joseph what the dream means and and what to do with it. it seems as though God is guiding the process but Joseph here is making decisions thinking through critically reasoning with the mind God gave him and going I think you should let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers let them get look at all this this advice appoint overseers over the land take one-fifth of the produce why one-fifth during the seven plentiful years. Let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming, store grain under your authority for food in the cities, let them keep it. That food shall be on reserve for the land, the seven years of famine. That's what I recommend. This is what Joseph recommends and suggests based on the dream, based on the dream that Pharaoh had. And it doesn't say that God told Joseph to say this. But I will say we can obviously assume God is overseeing the process. Not telling Joseph what to think, but you know what I mean. Daniel 4.27 is another example. King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. It's essentially him getting chopped down, humbled by God. And Daniel's going, look, bro, God has shown you what he's about to do to you. So let my counsel be acceptable to you. He doesn't say, thus saith the Lord. He doesn't say, God commanded me to tell you. He doesn't say, God is telling you. He's saying, look, based on the dream you had and how God's going to humble you big time, here's what I recommend. Here's my counsel. Break off your sins. Practice righteousness. Now you go, well, those are instructions clearly stated elsewhere in scripture for sure. But Daniel's still pulling from the knowledge he has of Torah to come to this conclusion. You go, well, I know what scripture says about men who are in opposition to God and prideful and and self-righteous and idolatrous and rebellious, so I recommend you repent, essentially, and return to the way God says is ideal. Practice righteousness and uh, show mercy to the oppressed. There may be, perhaps, a lengthening of your prosperity. Again, this is not God told me if you do this, he's going to lengthen your prosperity. This is Daniel going, here's my counsel, here's my suggestion. So why do I, why do I show you these passages to show you we can go to the famine with uh, Agabus and Acts and you go, well, that's a prophetic word. I think the same idea is prevalent in visions, dreams, and prophetic words, which is that when God gives a message, he doesn't always give you a step-by-step blueprint on what to do with what he told you. Here's a message. Now use discernment, use discretion, use understanding, seek me for knowledge and I'll guide the process and help you make sense of what to do. Daniel 4.27 is another example of that. Acts 16.9, Genesis 41. Uh, in in Acts, the whole prophet Agabus going, there's going to be a famine and what do the apostles do? They conclude, we should probably send relief to the Jews in Jerusalem. Yeah, let's do that. doesn't say God told them to, but they conclude there's just a lot of misunderstanding, I believe, around the idea of how God, when God speaks through dreams and how to discern if it's indeed him. So I just want to make sense of this. What I'm saying is that there's at least three to four uh, examples of each of the points I make, which is that interpretations belong to God alone. We rely on him for dreams, uh, for understanding of dreams and interpretation. God has gifted some to interpret dreams and visions, kind of like what we see tongues as in the in the New Testament. Sometimes God gives the interpretation to the dreamer and sometimes another person. Sometimes men need, and notice how I'm not saying always or even often or even frequently. The idea is that I can't definitively say what percentage of the time God does these things. You can run the numbers and statistically added up, but I don't think this gives us an outline. Scripture gives us an outline. Well, numerically, it's 33% of the time. I don't think that even helps us to know those things, but here's number six. When it comes to interpreting dreams, and I'm sure this is why a lot of you logged on, when it comes to interpreting dreams, and okay, I, I'm I'm like 99% sure God's trying to tell me something, but there's images and numbers and symbols, and it's not clear, and it seems like a parable. It seems very unclear. When you're trying to make sense of what you believe is a dream from God. Here are some helpful wisdom principles to apply in your interpretation process. Along the journey of making sense, know this: interpretations for dreams find their basis in scripture, not mysticism, not new age thinking, not paganism, nothing like that. For instance, you will see in Joseph's dreams, in Pharaoh's dreams, in the chief Uh, baker's dreams and the cupbearer's dreams, that numbers represent realities. Numbers are symbolic of a deeper set of ideas. So, God will send a message and there are ideas cloaked in numbers. These numbers represent a deeper reality. You see this with the number three. So, like, this is what we call numerology in scripture. Not every number has incredible biblical theological significance. But there are some numbers that you're like, I see that a lot. I see it attached to this idea, like the number 40 in testing, um, the number seven in completion, uh, creation, the number three, the number six being the number of man, the number 10, the number 12, the number 72, and so on. There are probably other numbers I have yet to consider. But when it comes to like, I have a dream with certain numbers and you go, oh, that number's in scripture. Here's what I don't recommend doing. I don't recommend assuming that what a number means in Scripture, uh, it means the same thing in your dreams. Let me say it a different way that actually makes sense to my brain. Here's what I don't want you doing. I don't want you to assume that the number three in my dream means what the number three means in Scripture. Can it? Possibly. Does the number three, six, seven, ten, twelve, forty, seventy-two always carry theological significance in my life and in my dreams? I wouldn't say so. That'd be a lot of assuming on our part. And I don't recommend you conclude things or reason through things based on assumptions you haven't really thought through. So again, these are not absolute statements. These are, hey, when these things happen, consider the numbers in your dreams, consider the number of things, and then weigh those things. Do I see that number in scripture? And just because you do and you're like, that number has significance in Scripture, it doesn't mean that number has significance to your dream. This is where prayer, seeking, asking, and counsel comes into play. This is where filtering our ideas and dreams and thoughts through the Scriptures comes into play. So I'm going to say it for the people in the back. Not every biblically significant number has deeper meaning in your dreams. Can they? Sure. Consider it, think through it, be open to it, but don't assume it. The second thing is that scripture tells us, or is full of rather, the Bible is full of poetic images, metaphors, analogies, poetic imagery, and often, I will say often, a certain image or symbol consistently represents one basic idea, okay? When it comes to scripture, certain images and symbols might have one meaning in one context and a different meaning in a different context. So I don't want you guys going through a chart or Googling uh, biblical charts and symbols and objects to interpret dreams and what they always mean. What does grain always mean in the Bible? Ah, it always means abundance. You know, an object and a symbol, an image in scripture does not always. There there might be, At uh, the top of my head, I can't think of any, so I want to be careful when I say this. There might be like a small list of images and symbols that consistently mean the same thing all throughout scripture. But that does not mean that therefore I can conclude that if I see that image in my dream, it means the same thing. Don't do that. There could be the chance that what An object represented in scripture or what a symbol represented in scripture it could be carrying that same symbolic meaning in your dream it's possible it's even likely but don't assume pray examine think critically get counsel ask seek knock all the things okay because there are so many people that are like, I saw six in my dream. And other believers like, six is a number of men. You're a Satanist. You're like, oh, I didn't know. I'm going to hell. You know, things are weird. Numbers, numerology, and scripture doesn't always perfectly parallel our life, reality, and our dreams. It can sometimes. But there's a whole different conversation. Same with poetic images and metaphors and objects. That What we see in scripture is not always a perfect parallel to what it, those images represent in our life, in our world, in my dreams. Sometimes they can, and it's helpful to consider what an image meant somewhere else in scripture and go, hmm, is there a sense of that being in this dream? God help me. Same with metaphors, analogies, poetic images, all of that, okay? Because there are people that if I were to, like, if I were to go, I had a dream and I sense it's God, they'd whip out their chart and they'd be like, hmm, flip through a an alligator obviously you are a pagan and god is saying just to lay off the wine You're like oh got that from an alligator praise god that'll be 50 bucks i'm sorry what so things can get weird okay dreams can often notice how i'm not making absolute statements because i dare not not unless scripture makes an absolute statement scripture Or dreams can often, often, not always, but often can have symbolic meaning within numbers, objects, symbols. And I'll give you a few examples. Joseph's dreams with the wheat and the stars, the cupbearer and baker's dreams about the grapes and the baskets. Joseph's dream had the number 12 represented his brothers. In another dream, sun and moon represented mom and dad, and 12 represented his brothers. Cupbearer baker saw the number three, three days. Jacob's dream about the ladder, ladder was the deeper reality of God's presence going on. Pharaoh's two dreams about cows and grain and the number seven, the seven represented years. The cows and grain represented years. The Midianites dream, barley cake, Israel. That's what the barley cake represented. I should have stated that better. The Midianites, their dream about barley cake was about Israel. If you dream about barley cake, that does not mean Israel is going to come plundering your camp. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream about the statue and this image represented different kingdoms. If you see a statue in your dream, does that mean it's absolutely um, representing deeper uh, a deeper reality of secret kingdoms or the kingdoms of the world? Not necessarily. Don't get weird. Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Daniel chapter 4, he's the tree, the beasts, and the birds represent nations. And Jesus, here's an example of what I mean, okay? One image can carry different symbolic meaning based on the context. The birds in Nebuchadnezzar's dream represents the nations. In Jesus' parable about the sower and the farmer, the birds actually represent Satan, the evil one, coming and taking the seed. So, if I see birds in my dream, is it Satan? Or is it Gentiles? And it's... I don't know. <laughs> Pray. Ask. I wouldn't assume that it's going to be either, but I would think through these things. All right, this is what I wanted to get to because I want to caution and warn you guys. I, that that's when it comes to interpretations. If you missed it, number one, interpretations belong to God. Number two, God has gifted some to interpret dreams and visions. It's just what they're they excel in. It's not their only gift. It's not their main calling. But God can give that unique gifting to someone as he pleases, just because it's not listed in 1 Corinthians or Romans, uh, I forget where, doesn't mean, oh, it's not a spiritual gift, it's not listed. Um, there's probably a lot of things that, don't, that aren't clearly listed in scripture that are happening in our realities in our world. Um, third, sometimes God gives the interpretation to the dreamer, sometimes he gives it to someone else to interpret the dream for that person. Sometimes men need to ask God, hum- humans, men, I don't want to be a gender exclusive. Sometimes people need to ask God for the understanding and the interpretation, okay? Sometimes God will, I'm saying sometimes on purpose, it's not always, it's not often, it's sometimes. God often allows people to decide the right course of action and the conclusion from their dreams. What do they conclude? And interpretations for dreams, no matter what, Let the scriptures and God's character and his ways and the narrative of redemption guide how you make sense of your dream or someone else's dream. Every interpretation for a dream will find its basis somehow, its connection somehow to the character, the word, or the plan of God to redeem and bring new creation and have his son reign and all of that. Okay, so think through that, please. But know this, there are counterfeit visions, prophecies, and supernatural insight. I went over this weeks ago. wasn't weeks ago. Am I crazy? Like two weeks ago. Deuteronomy 13. I even have even even been last week. It's late, I guess, because I'm 31, and all of a sudden, 8, 8 p.m. becomes 1 a.m. for a 31-year-old. Deuteronomy 13. It says, if a prophet or dreamer of dreams arises and gives you a sign or wonder and the sign or wonder he tells you comes to pass. And if he said, "Let's go after other gods which you haven't known and let us serve them." Don't listen to the the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. The Lord your God is testing you. Know this that when it comes to dreams, sometimes false prophets make up dreams and they know they're lying, okay? Sometimes false prophets have lying dreams, and they're so deceived they don't care and they don't even recognize the fact that it is a lie from a deceiving spirit and then they spew that, okay? Other times, so I guess those are the only two categories. If someone is labeled as a false prophet, having a false dream, this doesn't mean if I have a... Well, I guess I want to back that statement up. I'll address that later. That doesn't mean that if a prophet has... Um, What the heck am I trying to say, guys? Um, I'll say this. Sometimes we evaluate the legitimacy of a prophet based on their accuracy. And that becomes the main criteria by which we determine and measure someone's legitimacy as a prophet. And I'm just saying, apparently, there are people, false prophets, who are not sent by God, who are having... uh, dreams and they're intentionally deceiving or they themselves are deceived and they don't care if they're spewing deception. Either way, they're deceiving. And the idea is that part of their dream or their prophecy or their vision involves something regarding the future. It's something that is to come to pass, that is to happen in the future. It's a sign or a wonder that is to happen it's a prediction, it's a prophecy that either comes from a dream, a vision, or a prophetic word that they're claiming is from God. But either way, here we have a category for false prophets that have legitimate, accurate predictions. They are deceiving, they are lying, they are false in the sense that they're leading people away from God, but they are accurate So you have to create a category in your theology and understanding, which is that, yes, there is supernatural insight that comes from the kingdom of darkness that people operate by. So you go, well, what signs or wonders might he be taught? We at least know it's something that is to happen in the future. If it comes to pass and you go, whoa! It's not their accuracy or lack of that determines whether or not they're a true prophet of God. It's where are they leading you? Not to say accuracy is not a factor in us determining someone's legitimacy, but it's not ultimate. And it's not the only criteria we use. Well, they accurately predicted it, so clearly they're sent from heaven. It's a terrible way to evaluate things. Um, So, what are these signs and wonders I'll show you in Acts chapter 8 after... This message. Hey, real quick, don't forget to head to abovereproachministry.com to check out all of our free resources, all of our Bible study courses, devotional studies, Bible study workshops, Bible study worksheets, all of my sermon notes, and more. And while you're there, grab a copy of my book, Fruitful, or snag some church merch. You can also find all these links in the video description below. I'm also very excited to announce Above Reproach Ministry discussion groups, or ARM discussion groups for short. Head to the website if you'd like to see what groups are available near you, or if you'd like to start one in your area, feel free to email me. The first Season of video teachings have been compiled into a group study for you and other believers to dive into together. And in the months to come, I hope to have all nine seasons of these video teachings compiled into group studies for y'all to dive into together. We hope this encourages you to meet and grow with other believers to dive into the scriptures as the body of Christ. Well, that is all I have for you. Let's jump back into the message. Acts chapter 8. There's a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic. I just want you to see how this man is described before uh, Peter and the gang come and wreck house. First Philip, he previously practiced magic in the city. He amazed the people, okay? And you go, well, it's just lying signs. They're not actually happening. There's no real power behind what he's doing. Are you sure? Sorry, you can't see that. He previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him. From the least to the greatest. This is not a magician like you and I think, uh, someone who does hat tricks, and you're like, well, there's a way to make sense of what they're doing. This person, this Simon the Sorcerer, is how he's referred to as. Um, we actually see Josephus, I believe, record something about Simon the Sorcerer being like um, labeled as uh, divine deity. At least half. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him, the, the emphasis on how how much these people pay attention to what he's doing. Twice they're amazed by his magic. And you go, well, it's not like real. Then why does Deuteronomy 13 tell us, tell the Israelites rather, sorry, the Israelite nation, that if someone does a legitimate, uh, has a legitimate prediction, um, or has some legitimate sign or wonder that comes to pass. And if they lead you away from God, don't regard them. God doesn't say, well, if if they're, they're fake because it's, it's, they're not going to nail the prediction. That the sign or wonder is not going to happen. It actually does. But where they lead you with that matters. This is where discernment comes into play. Acts 13 actually speaks of a, a Jewish false prophet. Can I talk? A Jewish false prophet named Bar Jesus. He's got bars. When they had gone through the whole island. This joke just for me. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician. This is Paul now. My guy Paul's about to blind some fools. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. Why is he labeled as a man of intelligence if he's deceived by a Jewish false prophet who's a magician? Hmm? Who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God, but Elimus the magician, twice, that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. What do we see consistently with with Acts chapter 8 and Acts 13? The description, the heart, the attitude of these, well, um, what do we call these people? Like dark magicians or dark, not like yu but <laughs> dark sorcerers. Some of you nerds are like, yeah. what What we see consistently, at least with these two people, is that they are trying to point people to them away from God. Don't look at him, look at me. Don't consider what Paul's saying look at me. Now in Acts chapter 8, Simon the sorcerer does come to have a form of confession, which we'll end up seeing seems to be no confession at all. Um, let me take Acts 16, okay? Acts chapter 16. We have a, not a little girl, but a woman, a slave girl who has an owner, couple owners who make money and profit off her divine gifting, even though it's rooted in the kingdom of darkness she's operating by dark powers she had a spirit of divination you're not supposed to look at that and go i want that you're supposed to look at that and go ah poor girl like demonic possession um and they brought her she brought her owners much gain by fortune telling okay so there's a few examples just in the new testament just in the new testament And I could take you to the Old Testament, and I plan to. We see this dark power, because there are people who are like, well, Satan can only counterfeit. He can, but it's still legitimate power. Far less than God's, absolutely, but it's still real. It's still, like, legitimate in the sense that things are happening, and there's no way to make sense of what is happening except to chalk it up to supernatural means and go, well, there's clearly a spiritual element to what's happening. Acts chapter 8, we have a magician. Acts 13, we have another magician. Acts 16, we have a diviner, spirit of divination. That's not restricted just to the New Testament. That's not a new set of ideas. When we see the New Testament, we're like, well, we've never seen anything like this. Deuteronomy 18. There shall not be found among you any who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination, which actually is Balaam. We had a long conversation about Balaam a few episodes ago tells fortunes, interprets omens, or a sorcerer or a charmer, a medium, a necromancer, one who inquires of the dead, their abominations. Now, I will say, there are people who claim to be such, and they are fakes. There are people who legitimately have these dark powers to do these things and operate by this uh, spiritual dark empowerment, and they're doing real things, but... Where they lead you, what it prompts in you, what it drives you to do, is contrary to the word, plan, and character of God. 1 Samuel 28, verse 6, we see Saul trying to inquire of the Lord. God ain't answering. Some of you have done this. Ah! Um, and he goes, well, not hearing from God by dreams, or by Urim, or by prophets, so I'm going to go and look for a medium, by the way, a medium that he kicked out of the land, then Samuel summons Saul, or at least this medium does, however you make sense of what's happening, that's not the conversation, I don't want to go on down a round of trail, Saul goes, I'm in great distress, Samuel, I'm freaking out, Philistines are coming against me, Samuel's like, bro, I told you, God turned away from you. And that's why Saul goes, yeah, he has turned away from me. He answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. That's why I've summoned you to tell you what I shall do. Now, there are several ways to make sense of what's happening. You can chalk it up to, well, it's just a demon impersonating Samuel. You can say, well, she legitimately somehow under the sovereignty of God, the permission of God allowed for this to happen, and she conjured up the spirit of Samuel. There's probably other theories behind what's happening, but there is not, there is a dark, uh undertone to what is taking place. Okay. Second 2 Kings 21.6. We have a king who is evil. What's his name? His name is Manasseh. Don't name your kid Manasseh. Just kidding. You can redeem that name. He burned his son as an offering. What did God say in Deuteronomy 18? He used fortune telling. He used omens. He dealt with mediums and necromancers. He did much. E- he is literally the embodiment. He's the CEO of Deuteronomy 18. <laughs> if Deuteronomy 18 had a CEO and emb- embodied in a person, that's this guy. God goes, don't do this. He's like, I'm going to do it. God goes, don't do that. I'm going to do it. In fact, tell me more not to do so I can do it. And just the list goes on to this guy. The question becomes, why would kings be giving themselves over to things that were nothing more than illusions, counterfeits, fakes, weren't actually happening? There must be some legitimacy, some dark undertone to what's taking place as a real, authentic thing, and yet it's the counterfeit of what God does. It's less than, it points people away from God. Jeremiah 27.9, don't listen to your prophets Your diviners, your dreamers, your fortune tellers, or your sorcerers, they're lying, okay? So, I want you to be very aware. Not every dream is from God, number one. Some dreams are neutral. I know some people disagree, and they have to insert some spiritual uh, component into everything that takes place. Nothing can be chalked up to anything purely natural, And every dream is either from God or it's not, but I would like to suggest that I think some dreams actually are just neutral. They're neither from God, neither from the devil, but I wanna caution you. There seems to be a category of dreamers and dreams and supernatural insight into the future or into your present or into the past that is rooted in the powers of darkness. And if you just assume every supernatural experience I have is from God, you're set up for tremendous failure. So I have some warnings for you. Scripture has warnings for you. And then we're done. And then the next episode, next week, we can finally land this plane, end this series, and talk about why God is silent. What do we do with the silence of God? Just to whet your appetite for the next episode. Ecclesiastes, if you've not watched this whole series, I highly recommend it. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 7. There's some cautions and warnings for dreams. I don't want to scare you. This isn't to terrify you. This is to protect you and keep you from going to unhealthy extremes. There are two extremes, people who rely on dreams and people who reject the idea of God communicating anything through dreams to them. Just make sure whatever extreme you're falling towards, finds some kind of basis in scripture, at least, if you're going to do that. <laughs> Ecclesiastes 5.7, it says, and I just want to caution you with this, where, when, not even where, when, dreams increase, and words grow many, just a lot of babbling, just a lot of nonsense, just a lot of vain repetition and talking, and, and chit-chat that has no real substance or value And it's just dreams. I feel like, I sense my emotions, my chakra, whatever. My suspicions, it's rooted in you. Where dreams increase and words grow many, there's vanity. God is the one you must fear. Because what do dreams have the tendency of producing in people? Dreams have the... Uh, not tendency, that's the wrong word, dreams have the capacity of producing in us this unhealthy reliance upon dreams to the neglect of how God has clearly revealed himself and spoken to us via the scriptures. And so I just want you to know having lots of dreams is neither good nor bad. It's how much your life is immersed in dreams and interpreting and making sense and connecting the dots. And now you're a criminal investigator with your lights down and November 4th, I had a dream. And when I was six, I had a dream about a Tonka truck and well, you know, Mr. Rogers on one episode, he did talk about, And you start connecting all these dots and your life is really wasted away on a lot of nothing. So this is why I'm going to take you to Colossians chapter 2. The caution is to obsess over, rely upon, and spend your life on dreams. Escaping reality, avoiding responsibility, neglecting the way God has clearly spoken. I'm waiting for a dream. If you open Galatians 4, he'll tell you not to do that. You don't need to wait for a dream to tell you that. But nonetheless, Colossians 2, 18 and nineteen. So let no not no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels. Um, if I remember correctly, I mix up the terms sometimes. Asceticism, that being the uh, extreme abuse of one's like severe self discipline to the point of like um, not self deprecation as, a, but it's almost like this unhealthy extreme of like physical. Ab- Physically abusing yourself to abstain from things. Not to say that like you won't suffer at times as you faithfully follow God, but it's this unhealthy obsession of and focus on an extreme of I don't know, avoidance of things of the material world and physical appetites. Either way, worship of angels going on in detail about visions. What did Ecclesiastes five say? Where dream when dreams increase and words grow many? There's vanity going on in detail seems similar to that. Puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, not holding fast to the head, and that being Jesus, who's described in the rest of this verse. The idea is there are people, and it's not necessarily encouraged to be this person, there are people who are puffed up without reason. Notice it's um, illogical, it's nonsensical, It's there's no sense of Uh, consideration, no thoughtfulness, no careful examination, but it's just, it's like their minds have been reduced down to nothing more than an animal, like an animalistic way of thinking, and it's such pride that it's to the neglect of, Nebuchadnezzar is a perfect example, thank you Lord, when Nebuchadnezzar reaches the point of no return, which he does return from, so maybe that's just a wrong statement to use. But when Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, he's like, I saw a tree get lopped down. And Daniel's like, that's you, boy. Humble yourself. And King Nebuchadnezzar's like, no, look at my empire. And God's like, boy, Daniel warned you. And King Nebuchadnezzar turns into an animal. His talons grow, hair grows. You're supposed to think, whoa, that's an image bearer of God that has allowed himself to be reduced down to nothing more than an animal. And it's pride that got him there. That kind of unreasonable pride is seems to be associated with going on in details about visions, which is similar to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. The idea of um, dreams increasing and then words growing many and then there's no profit to what's done. No actual fruit that comes from that. If we spent our lives interpreting dreams, making sense of dreams, dreaming, just living in dream world, what would our life profit the kingdom or anyone else for that matter? Nothing. If you do nothing but sit around and discuss and and, and, uh, theorize, and I'm just trying to make sense of, and that's all you do, speculate and live in the unknown and and make sense of, uh, I don't know, ideas and, and visions and symbols, and you do nothing else, you're wasting your life away. It doesn't mean there's no value in critically thinking through and prayerfully examining dreams, but I just want you to th- think like there is an unhealthy degree of attention that one can have on their dreams to the neglect of real life. That's a word to some of you gamers. <laughs> You're like, dreams, oh, I have dreams. Yeah, but you live in one. It's called the fantasy of entertainment, and you live there all day, every day. Ah, nonetheless, don't go there. Don't go there, me. Jeremiah 23, verse 26. 25. I'll back it up. The Lord says, I've heard what the prophets have said. They prophesy lies in my name. I've dreamed a dream. You had a dream. How long shall there be lies in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies and prophesy the deceit of their own heart? They think to make my people forget my name. (laughs) <laughs> I, I I hope you see it what seems to be a common theme with false prophets who live by their dreams who rely on dreams who give false dreams their dreams and their counsel is to move people away from God cause them to neglect God and his word and his ways forget the name of God so be mindful of I should have started with this, but when it comes to interpreting and making sense of dreams, I highly recommend, highly recommend you think through, where is this dream leading me? What is it promoting in me? What is it pulling out within me? What is it drawing out of me? What is it moving me towards? What is it motivating me to do and think about? What kind of attitudes is it, uh, I don't know, uh, promoting in my life, um, I just want you to be thinking through these things. By their dreams, they tell one another. They want people to forget God's name and go after Baal. Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream. They just, okay. But let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. That is not to say that all across human history, it's like pick it, pick a dream or pick God's word. But in this case, in this context, for this audience, where they're at, they got to choose this day whom they're going to serve. If you're going to prophesy lies and be dedicated to that and live by dreams and just spew falsehood through your dreams and move people away from God, go ahead. Judgment's coming. But I recommend that you be a person that relies on and speaks the word of God faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat, declares the Lord. Isn't my word like fire? And like a like a hammer that breaks the rocks in pieces. Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, the Lord says, who steal my words from one another. I'm against the prophets, who use their tongues and declare, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I'm against those who prophesy lying dreams. Let's make sure we don't read into this what we want to support our bias and our presuppositions. Because there are some that will read into this, Hey, You know, God is against dreams. Is that what it says? Is that what it says, Chuck? Does it say the Lord is against dreams? Why does he give dreams? Why does he work through dreams? Why does he give interpretations for dreams? What's he against here? He's against people who prophesy lying dreams, declares the Lord, who tell them and lead my people astray by their lies and their recklessness. I want you to see like, The common themes, the common attitudes, the common lifestyles that come attached to uh, falsehood and living by dreams and relying on dreams. It's reckless, nonsensical, illogical, unreasonable, animalistic, to the neglect of any kind of biblical examination and thoroughly thinking through the world, through the lens of scripture. It's reckless. You want to go sing that God is reckless? Uh... Recklessness in scripture, nowhere, at least the words that get translated and rendered reckless in our English language, it's nowhere communicated as a positive idea. When I didn't send them or charge them, they don't profit this people at all. The consistent undertone and theme of false prophets, whether dreams, visions, or lying words, is that they promote useless, vain discussions, lifestyles, um, um, recklessness. And I want to take you to Zechariah. And I want to end in Jude because there's a lot to say here. And I'm resisting the urge to dive deep into these because of the progress I want to make tonight. So I know some of you are like, dive deeper uh, in the future. Zechariah 10, 2, it says, the household gods utter nonsense. What's another? What, again, is a re- is, is a pattern we're seeing? Nonsense. Nonsense. Words are many. Uh, going on in detail. Pro- useless, vain words. Nonsense. The diviners see lies. They tell false dreams. They give empty consolation. Woo! Something to consider. Um, something to consider. I'll say it like this. When it comes to false dreams, something to consider is that I'm not saying this is the absolute, nor is it the primary filter we use in discerning dreams, but it's something that should be a factor in my mind as I'm discerning through whether a dream is from God. Is this empty, um, flattery, consolation, uh, soothing words that comfort me and tickle my ears, but aren't actually rooted in the reality of who God is and what he's actually doing in the world. Because one thing I want you to pay attention to is the fact that not all encouragement is, um, encouragement. (laughs) Not all nice words you want to hear are good for you. Does that make sense? Sometimes empty consolation, uh, flattery in scripture is not recommended. It's not framed up as a good thing. Sometimes dreams can have that kind of, um, sense and, 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 uh, uh, I don't know, feeling to it, where it's like, ooh. It's like a false sense of security. It's saying, you got ground, step out, and there's nothing. So I think something to consider as it relates to dreams is if your dream is almost like giving you, uh, I don't, actually, I'm not going to go down that line of reasoning. I'm going to retract that. I'm going to wait. Therefore, the people wander like sheep. So wandering, hmm? They're afflicted for lack of a shepherd. This is what Jesus will say when he looks at um, the people, the Jews. He has compassion on them. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And I wonder why. Hmm. I wonder if there's false prophets in Jesus this day who are taking advantage of oppressing and actually uh, fleecing the sheep. Jeremiah twenty-eight nine eight says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Don't let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Don't listen to the dreams that they dream. It is a lie. I didn't send them. Hmm. So there are, and there is, a category of people who are self-proclaimed prophets. I have a dream. Congregation. Person on the street. Little boy I've never met. I have a dream. Wanna hear it? I don't know. Are you from God? Yes. Let's tell me the gospel. Who's Jesus? What do you do for us? Oh, no, no, no. Oh, sounds good to me. All right, go on. And all the while they're deceiving, they're lying, they're profiting off you all under the guise of, I'm a believer. And they got the confession down. Their resume says volumes, but their heart, their words, their lifestyle, their teachings are moving you in a direction that actually dishonors God, undermines the scriptures, undermines the sufficiency of scripture, the sufficiency of Christ, the beauty of the gospel, whatever it is. And so I think this we had a whole teaching on false prophets, so I don't want to reiterate what I've already talked about. This is the last passage today. You can see that I'm nearing the end of this series this is episode 10 and I'm like I'm not trying to rush, but I'm not trying to live here. Jude there's only one chapter, fellas, but chapter one, it's still chapter one. Yet in like manner, speaking about false teachers, false prophets, he says, just like them, these people also relying on their dreams. And you go, well, it's not a bad thing here. They, they defile the flesh. Notice what it's surrounded by. Notice what characteristics come attached to. Um, a person who relies on dreams. What is it couched between? Defiling the flesh. Rejecting authority. Blaspheming the glorious ones. These people blaspheme all they don't. En- like unreasoning animals. Remember how I said a consistent... I'm going to go back to the false prophecy series for a second. And say, What will you see in the wake of false prophets and false teachers. Godlessness, defiling of the flesh, disobedience, rebellion, encouragement to sin, unreasoning animalistic tendencies. That seems to be like what comes attached to and what surrounds false prophets and false prophecies that can involve false dreams. They understand instinctively, woe to them. Balaam is involved in this. We talked about Balaam, but I just want you to see, relying on dreams is not necessarily smiled upon. (laughs) It's actually, as far as I can, in fact, let's see if this is the only time this phrase rendered in the English, relying on dreams is used. Mm. Sorry. This is the only time. Wow. You wonder why that characteristic, someone who relies on dreams, is attached to the lifestyle of false prophets and false teachers. Why, does that, why is that one of the things that Jude wants to mention about people? who seem to be in opposition to God because I don't believe we're to rely on dreams. I'm not convinced scripture wants you obsessing over and wasting your life on making sense of every, um, I don't know, impactful night vision that you have. So in conclusion, as we wrap this portion of the series up regarding dreams, there are some stark warnings and cautions. Don't rely on dreams. People who people are out there trying to convince you their dreams about you is thus saith the Lord and give them money and it's like a lot there are of course as discernment grows, you begin to recognize certain tendencies of these people to go I can tell you're not a person I should trust and rely on but how do you test how do you verify whether or not they had a dream first of all and whether or not that dream was even about you second of all and whether or not that dream was from God for you third of all and there's layers of discernment there's layers to evaluate so all this to say be careful be cautious but be open and receptive God does speak through dreams at times, I won't say often, I won't say always, because obviously not, but the main way God communicates through His Son, through His Word, and then through other means, people, creation, situations, uh, anything in the hands of God um, that He intends to use as a method of conveying a message to you uh, is up to Him. It's up to Him. Alright? Hey, I just want to thank you for all your support and prayers that make this ministry possible and help us to accomplish our mission. Your support makes it possible for us to create all the free resources we have available for anyone around the world. Our mission is to teach people how to read the Bible so they can live and teach the Bible themselves. So be sure to visit AboveReproachMinistry.com for all these free resources and to support this ministry. And if you're a new believer, be sure to check out the New Believer section on the homepage of our website and grab a copy of my book, Fruitful, while you're there. God bless you guys and as always, keep moving towards. Jesus.